Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Nicky and George Bremer here with you. Very excited to welcome uh, welcome in Nathan Bayer to join us here at Cleveland.com, Ohio State football beat writer. Nathan, appreciate you welcoming or appreciate you joining, I should say, the Blue Horseshoe Podcast it was really interesting seeing CJ Stroud's decision because honestly, I thought this was really not much of a decision to make. And you hear kind of coming down to the wire officially, he does declare for the NFL draft on Monday afternoon, the last day you could. Was there a sense that you got that he actually could stay? Was he close to staying in Ohio State? This is really kind of maybe a lot of internet speculation that really was not going to, in the end, result in him coming back for another season at Ohio State. We definitely got the impression that it was something he was considering or at least that it was something where uh, even if he had made the other decision and I was always skeptical that he would come back that he was just taking his full allotted time he had until Monday to make sure that it sat right with him you know he's a guy who is you know kind of wears his uh, spirituality on his sleeve a little bit is very upfront with that sort of thing and how that guides his decisions and sort of the way he lives his life and that may have been a part of this. Uh, but also, let's not pretend that there aren't some factors at play that might have given him reason to think about staying. You know, there's you can look at the data. There is a correlation between number of you know games played or started at the college level and how well guys sometimes do in the NFL. And he's sort of right on that bubble. Dwayne Haskins, if you're looking at Ohio State players, Dwayne Haskins was like way under it. And uh, Justin Fields was a little bit under it just because of that truncated 2020 season because of COVID CJ Stroud's had two full seasons that it's not like a a dearth of experience, but sort of right on that bubble of of what you'd probably like to have. Um, And, you know, the NIL situation now, you know, Ohio state through its partnership with Learfield um, has done very well in terms of setting up current athletes and their earning possibilities. And CJ Stroud had already made somewhere in the seven figures uh, at this stage of his career, um, and was poised to do more than that if they had, you know, set something up with some kind of global brand. It wasn't going to be NFL money, but it's enough money that the guys who, you know, have made this decision before that was maybe a little bit surprising, going back to Justin Herbert or Andrew Luck before that or Peyton Manning going even farther back. Like, they didn't have that, obviously. They were choosing between NFL contract and dust or, or whatever they were getting, you know, under the table possibly or or from their, their parents because some of those guys were in, in good shape with their families or whatever. So uh, CJ had that to consider that he 
wouldn't be passing up all money to, to stay at Ohio State for another year. But the financial realities are such that you 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 know, you're signing this first deal. He's probably going to be, we think, you know, very good chance of being in the top five picks. Probably wouldn't fall a whole lot farther than that, even with now being three quarterbacks in this class, him and and and, and Levis and um, and Bryce Young. But um, that's going to put you somewhere between what twenty five and forty million. We've seen the projections or low forties, and and then on top of that, it starts to clock on when you get to sign that second contract. And if if you you know if you if you hit and do well, and that's where you start making potentially like obscene money. So. A lot of guys want to start that contract, start that clock as soon as they can. And and on top of all that, I thought that the Georgia game showed should have dissuaded any notion as to, to whether he's ready for this jump. Like, I think he's there. So all those factors together, I I think there was reason for him to, to pause and think about it. There's obviously a lot of weapons at Ohio State in this coming year. There are some things he didn't he was never able to accomplish. Didn't beat Michigan was a two-time Heisman finalist, but it was up front saying that was a, he wanted to win that trophy and and didn't quite get there in the voting either year. Um, never won a playoff game, got them there once. So, and, and right to the cusp of winning one, but didn't win it. And then saw Georgia go win a national championship and saw that if they had been able to find the extra two points they needed to win that game, what was potentially what boy, the way people would be talking about Ohio state and the way people would be talking about him right now. So uh, I think there was legitimately out of this, I didn't get the impression that this was showboating and then certainly things that we heard was that this wasn't just him dragging out a decision for drama or attention that he really was thinking about it uh, at least to the point of even again, if there was a decision that was more or less in place that he just wanted to make sure it's set right with him and, and consider it from all angles. Uh, but ultimately you're right. Like the decision that came down was the one that we'd been expecting since before the season, really since the end of last season and, and going into the peach bowl, Nobody around this team was talking about CJ potentially coming back. It was uh, we were already having discussions about the next two guys are going to be competing for that job. So it, it was a little bit of a surprise that it dragged as long as it did, but ultimately came to the decision that I think makes the most sense for him in the long term. Yeah, Nathan, I, I thought the Peach Bowl was arguably the best game he played as a college quarterback. Uh, but you see what he does on the field. All of us can watch that, you know, on the tape. What is he like in the locker room? Is this a vocal leader? Is he a guy that, that, that his team follows? You know, what what sort of legacy does he leave at Ohio State in that manner? So CJ has been pretty open about some of the um, challenges that he faced early in his life. You know, um, uh, some things with his family and with his dad especially and some, some tough times that they had. And he came to Ohio State as a guy, uh, Ryan Day put it, like that – um, over the time that he was here, kind of came out of his shell a little bit. I think he was still a little bit reserved when he got here, but definitely became a a presence that people rallied around on this team. And that started to happen even during his true freshman season. I mean, Justin Fields was still the starter, but the reaction that you were seeing from some of the other receivers on this team, the C.J. Strouds, the Garrett Wilsons, like they went into last season with – a, a real belief in who CJ was and, and what he could do. And, and some of that is when you just show up to practice and, and show that you have the skills, but it's more than that. I mean, you're getting guys to buy into the person you are in the huddle and the, the person who is when everything else is, is going screwy on the field, you know, you've got to be the one that 
has your feet under you and your your and and your head together and and you're you're leading a team through that. And that was never really an issue for CJ, even from the first games that he played. You know, he he started last season uh, talking about 2021 um, injured, like or 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 was injured pretty quickly. He he had a a kind of iffy first half against Minnesota in his debut on a, a you know Thursday night road game in the Big Ten, which isn't necessarily easy for a first time starter. And then kind of picked it up in the second half. Uh, but then it was pretty apparent a couple games into that year that his something was wrong uh, physically with him. So he took a, a week off, kind of got his shoulder right, and once he came back from that, it was pretty locked in and. Uh, you saw that performance really continue on through the next season and three quarters or whatever that was. So from a, from a, just a on-field presence standpoint, there was never a time when he looked, I thought, you know, rattled or, or out of place. I mean, he, he had a, a pretty decent command of things, even if there were some growing pains in those first few weeks. And I think that's one of the things that has, has put him in position to, um, be able to go to the next level and succeed that this wasn't a, a guy who was just out there uh, slinging the ball around with, you know, like unparalleled arm strength or uh, was an athlete who could just make plays with his legs. Although the Georgia game being a, a, a departure from that a little bit where he finally was able to do that or decided to do that. It was really a, a guy who, who can read defenses, who can process, who can see things before they happen who is who's making good decisions before the snap or good reads before the snap and, and processing that. And that has always been his game. Like that brain at work has always been his game since really his first start of, of 2021. So I, I think what you're talking about just in terms of the personality and that, that way that guys react to him has, has also always been there. We haven't really ever had an indication that, that there was much doubt there and he, Again, just the testimony of the the guys that he was making into or helping become all American level receivers the last couple of years is, I think, testimony to that. Nathan, watching CJ Stroud from a ten thousand foot perspective, I my characterization uh, characterization of him is this: I feel like someone who he has no problem lighting up against the Northwesterns and the Maryland's of the world. But you see, in the last two years, when it comes to the big games, Oregon, both Michigan games, even Penn State this year for three three and a half quarters. He did struggle. And it looked like he was, whether it was rattled, whether he's had trouble seeing the field, whether he's feeling the pressure, not running when he should have. Is it fair to characterize CJ Stroud as someone who does not play his best games in the biggest moments? That's a good question. And that, that debate sort of still rages on because in the Oregon game, I, I set aside a little bit only because um, physically, like I said, like even though that was only a couple games in, like something was already wrong there. They didn't get it addressed until. The next game, the Tulsa game was actually his worst game last year. And then the, they took the next week off against Akron. It was once he got that week off, I think got things right physically, but also probably cleared his head a little bit. I think at that time, and I don't know really he ever really got away from this, but he was definitely listening a little bit too much to outside stuff, whether it was stuff that people like me would write or just I think more in general, the the noise on social media, I think, was getting him early last year that he had to kind of make a break from that. But once he got his head cleared and, and came back for big 10 play, things really clicked in from, from that point on. Um, I think it is true that I, I go back and forth on this because I, I think there is some reason to say 
that some of the problems that you saw happen in, for instance, those Michigan games was not always uh, a failure on Stroud's part. I, I look back on his career as, you know, the, the letdown being more about Ohio State's program than than him not stepping up and and fulfilling a legacy. You know, they had this guy who was, I think, arguably their best pure passer in, in program history, and they weren't able to beat Michigan with him, and they weren't they were only able to get the one playoff. They weren't able to win a Big Ten championship with him. And it's, it's, it was the other failures around him that ultimately held this team back. There were some, some problems with the run game in both of those Michigan games. There was, um, you know, problems defensively, certainly in both of those games. It, it's, it's definitely a, a valid criticism to say that the offense didn't do enough, especially in the two Michigan games. And then the second half of those games, things did seem to really uh, flatten out. But in, for instance, the 2021 Michigan game, um, he was just under constant attack from mm-hmm. uh, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo and the, you know, the offensive line didn't do its job that game, or at least I, at, at the very best you could say is that Michigan won that matchup. Like they, they had NFL edge rushers and they came in and did NFL edge rush things. And even some of those offensive linemen have gone on and, and, and started their NFL careers. Well, but that day, Michigan certainly won it. There have been other occasions where you would say, I think that he did step up. I mean, even in the Penn state game this year, uh, that was as physical of a secondary as they played. There were there were definitely NFL guys in that secondary. Joey Porter Jr., you know, standing out at the top of it. And they were winning some of those matchups one-on-one, whether it was Marvin Harrison Jr. And the connection that, that Stroud and him had, I think you saw come up in some big moments there. And then, like I said, the Georgia game, uh, I thought, is the one that, that ans- should answer a lot of those concerns. I mean, that's arguably the best defense Ohio State faced either of these past two years. And uh, Stroud and and Day together were kind of in sync on sort of owning that game. Now, I think that's the other debate that's raging at Ohio State right now among the fan base and and people who follow it is, was was Day's play calling at times too conservative? Should they have treated some of those other games, the the Michigan games, um, especially the way that they approach that Georgia game, you know, and it was right after that Michigan game this year where he said, you know, we're not going to play. We can't play tight. We've got to be more aggressive. And, and that seemed to be as much an admission about how he needed to approach things as the program at large. And I think you saw that in the way the game that he called against Georgia. So that may have been another thing that was on CJ's mind recently. I haven't obviously haven't had a chance to talk to him since his decision came down. We only have the, the public statement that he made, but you know, did he see something in that Georgia game that, you know, if they had taken that approach in the next year, does that open things up more? Like when we were doing predictions for this past year, we all thought that CJ was going to have like really some monster numbers just based on what we'd seen him do that second year. And that didn't really come to fruition partially because of the way the schedule played out, but also the, the way that Ohio state approached things offensively. And I think that what you saw against Georgia could be a template for how they approach things in some of these bigger games coming into this year because this this coming season it's going to be a tough schedule for the guys that are following in behind him whoever the first year starter is going to be um and i I think they probably learned some lessons about how to to go about this just from the way that that georgia game went along those same lines 
you know, I don't know that it's getting enough play uh, overall, but there were a lot of injuries on, on that offense this year. I mean, you look at Jackson Smith and Jigba did not play the whole year. They were down to their third running back. Uh, at one point, I think they had a linebacker <laughs> running back. Um, how much did did Shroud have to overcome this season in that regard? We know Ohio State's loaded with talent, but, you know, was that a real a real obstacle for him? Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus at times it was, and especially as it relates to the run game. In the passing game, they they missed Jackson Smith the Jigba too, but not until the end of the season when they, you know, he would have made a difference against Michigan. He would have made a difference against Georgia. There's no question. Like a healthy Jackson Smith the Jigba on the field, maybe they win both of those games. I don't know. I mean, it certainly would have made a, a big difference. Um, and then to, you know, even just that Georgia game, I mean, they, they, Thought they were going to have Mayan Williams ready to play, He, uh, which was the guy who led them in rushing this year. And he gets hurt and can't really play much. And they lose their tight end, Kate Stover. I thought that was maybe the most significant loss of the game. You saw a number of ways that that showed up over the course of that game where not even just as a receiver, but more like blocking and, and helping protect and things like that. Well, just minute, small little things where I think Kate Stover makes a difference. And then obviously losing Marvin Harrison Jr. for the entire fourth quarter of a game you lose by one point, uh, unanimous All-American receiver. So just even in that one Georgia game that he had to overcome a lot, you look at the lineup that they had on the field at the end of that game. And if you had told Ohio State fans that, you know, you'd be one point away from uh, going to the national championship game with a lot of those guys on the field in the fourth quarter of the semifinals, they would have kind of chuckled and wondered like, what what went wrong um but yeah there were a lot there were several things that they had to overcome this year and and the smith and jigba thing definitely affected the year i mean for people who don't know you know he's a guy that set the the big 10 single season receiving record last year and and a guy who was going to be central to this offense i mean he was the, the slot receiver and they had planned a lot of their offense around what he was going to be and this wasn't an injury that maybe happened in preseason camp where you you get a couple weeks to adjust. I mean, it happened during the Notre Dame game on opening night and at the time didn't seem that significant of an injury in some ways, and but it lingered and they could never get it right. It was just one of those hamstring injuries. He tried to come back a couple times, kept aggravating it, kept having setbacks and ended up playing like 60 snaps all year. And that was just a huge presence that they had really built a lot of their offense around. And you would see times this year where the guys that were in his place, Ohio State still trying to run Jackson Smith and Jigba plays with guys who are, are talented guys but aren't Jackson Smith and Jigba. And it wasn't always a seamless fit, and it looked a little clunky at times. And 
when Marvin Harrison Jr. then emerges, like I said, becomes a consensus All-American and has, you know, 14 touchdown catches or whatever he had this year and was a fantastic season. And legitimately, we sort of expected him to take a step like that. The opportunity wouldn't have been there for him to put up those kind of numbers, maybe if, if Smith and Jigba is still the, the central presence of that offense. But imagining what it could have been with him on the outside, Smith and Jigba in the middle, and then Emeka Buka, another thousand yard guy, and Julian Fleming, who was the number one receiver in his class a couple of years ago, taking that, that sharing that, that third spot, like an offense that was already, you know, among the best in the country in terms of, you know, yards per play and, and points and everything. You can just take it up another notch above that. So, uh, but it was the run game that I thought maybe held them back the most, or was the thing that he had to overcome the most because when that, stayed on schedule uh, they could very quickly just overwhelm teams you know it's an it's it's rolling downhill very quickly when they would get clunky with the run game on early downs i don't care how good you are and how good your receivers are now you're playing real big time football and and defenses now are making you throw on their terms and that was when you would see three and outs that's when you would see you know drives that stalled and ohio state having to you know punt the ball away and if when when if they can get that part of the game healthy for 2023 again, uh, and they have all, like all those all those same guys are back in the backfield to try to you know give it another shot, but if they can get that healthy, it's going to really help whoever's you know taking over for Stroud. But at times this year, because Stroud himself is not a running presence, or again was not until the Georgia game, then when the when the run game got bogged down, you definitely saw um, this offense stall out and it, not knowing the whole second half of the year, which of those two lead backs was going to be healthy, put them in a tough spot. One of the, we referenced the Georgia game a lot, Nathan, right? And one of the reasons for it is because we saw something we haven't really seen at all in CJ Stroud's career. And that was him using his legs more than, uh, more than ever. He had 12 rushing attempts, which is double the amount that he had in any other game before that his previous career high was six. So that was obviously a concerted effort. And that was something that was different than what we've seen at any other point in his career. If the Colts were to draft CJ Stroud, is that something that Colts fans would ex- or should expect to see more often that he will use his legs more often or is kind of that George game an anomaly in a specific game plan and he'll still be more of the pocket passer that he was for let's say 95 percent of his USA career yeah so it wasn't really necessarily part of the game plan because if you go back and look I mean I think I can think of like maybe one designed run kind of a zone read that they ran and he kept it and I, that didn't go very well uh that's not his game and th- what I think you saw against Georgia though was something that Ohio state fans had been clamoring for really for, for both seasons, which was take what the defense is giving you in terms of scrambling. And Mm -hmm. that's a tough proposition when you have as many weapons as Ohio state has. And, and this Justin Fields, even someone and people saw what he did this year as a runner, like that's a, he's, he's still a pocket quarterback first, or at least was at Ohio state but clearly a guy who knows what to do with his legs and is that kind of athlete. C.J. Stroud is not a Justin Fields-level athlete as, as, as a runner. But even when Fields was here, there was a lot of times his inclination was to keep the ball almost, some would argue, too long sometimes to try to make a play with his arm with his arm because you had Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and uh, Jameson Williams for a while and then Jackson Smith and Jigba coming along behind them and uh, you had all of this NFL talent at receiver it seemed kind of like you you all you want to maximize that as much as you can and I think Stroud took a, a similar approach I don't know how some of it may have been also Ryan Day that's the approach he wanted from him was to, to sort of limit how much he was going to put himself on the line as a runner because he's you know the, 
I don't know that they were the drop from from the starter to the next guy. I think they have confidence in whoever's going to take over next year, but there still is a drop. So there was all of those factors were sort of in play. And what happened against Georgia was, you know, a Georgia defense that was willing to let Stroud prove that he could run on them. Like and and for the first time, he did it consistently. He had to do it a little bit against Northwestern. If people um, are familiar, the Ohio State played a game at Northwestern this past year with a the wind gusts were insane and it pretty much uh, put a lid on anybody throwing the ball that day. And for an Ohio state offense that it was so predicated on that, like even the, the long handoffs and the, the bubble screens and stuff were, were inhibited by uh, the wind that day. So they had to become a, a running team. And that was the first time we saw Stroud kind of take matters into his own hands and run the ball. But the Georgia game was another level. And, and it was a lot of it was, you know, you're running, multiple vertical routes and, and Georgia is going with those guys and it's just leaving the, the, the field open. People can go back and look like the, the only reasonable response in some of those cases was to just run with it. And, and, and it was funny to watch Stroud um, on the field during that second half, because you could tell he was feeling it a little bit uh, sort of um, for the first time in his career, really, you know, breaking loose as a runner. So I'm not, by any means predicting that he's going to do what a true dual threat quarterback does or guys like Justin Fields and Josh Allen, like that's not going to be his game at this next level. He is a pocket passer, but the Georgia game showed that he uh, can get out there in the open field. He's got a very long stride, but w- when defenses are going to give it to him, he will take it. That was the indication I got against Georgia. Does he replicate that at the next level? We'll see. That's going to be how depend on how defenses respond, but it does, it's an interesting thing to kind of put out there on tape and for teams that are now scouting you to have to take into account that it's something you're willing to do. It's something that teams didn't have to account for his entire Ohio state career, which is maybe why it was there to the extent that it was against Georgia. The last one from me, uh, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I think he's going to go down as, as the most accurate passer in Ohio state history. I think I read that somewhere highest completion percentage, do you attribute that to, to that anticipation and the way he reads defenses? Is it arm talent? You know, what what all went into that? I mean, he definitely has some arm talent. His bigger skills, though, are more the, the touch that he can put on passes and the what you're talking about, like, you know, reading plays, getting up to a line, being able to read a defense, and then being able to apply that to what happens post-snap. Jim Knowles, who is the defensive coordinator that came in this year, who was at Oklahoma State and had a lot of success before that, has said that Stroud is as good as anybody he's ever seen do that. And that includes when he was at, um, you know, in the SEC seeing, you know, Eli Manning and, and some of the other guys that they've he's faced over the years. So or, or even had, you know, with, with the teams he's been associated with. So that was something he could challenge him with in practice. And, and Stroud kept, uh, you know, doing a good job, you know, winning a lot of those challenges, I suppose, on a, on a daily basis. And. The other thing to remember too is is the just the receiving talent that they've had there. You know, it's not like he had to come out and make these receivers look good. Like Chris Olave, what he did this year as a rookie in the NFL. Yeah. Garrett Wilson, what he just did as a rookie in the NFL. Jameson Williams didn't get a chance to, and he didn't really do a lot at Ohio State. He was definitely the third guy, and that was he wasn't actually. I shouldn't even say him. He wasn't here. Stroud took over, and then Williams was um, had headed to excuse me, headed to Alabama, but Jackson Smith and Jigba, we'll see what he maybe does at the next level. But, but certainly with Olave and Wilson show you that those guys were 
legitimate NFL receivers both on the field at the same time, um, that makes your job a, a lot easier as a quarterback. So I, I, the thing that I think will make him a success at the next level, though, is uh, or at least help with his learning curve is that ability to process his football IQ, the, his vision that he has on the field, um, his ability to, to anticipate uh, all of those things I thought were pretty evident. It, it, go, you know, he, he, we've had some pretty good quarterbacks here at Ohio state the last few years, whether it was Haskins or, or fields, or even going before that, you know, guys who won Heisman trophies in the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And he's leaving as the, the quarterback efficiency rating leader in career history. And it's because he was able to just, you know, make good decisions, really minimize turnovers and, and, and didn't have to, uh, didn't, wasn't a volume shooter, you know, didn't need a lot of attempts in order to have a really productive passing day, most games of his career. And those sort of things, I think transition really well to the next level. To wrap up, Nathan, is there a comp you have in mind of an NFL quarterback that maybe you could project CJ Stroud to kind of maybe mirror? God, that's a great question. I, I, I haven't really thought of that because, and also like so many guys, it seems like in recent years have maybe trended towards, um, guys who use their legs a lot, the, the ones who have been, you know, that superstar level. Um, and I guess we shouldn't even really necessarily project Stroud for that level. I don't know that you have to be the, the super upper echelon in order to, to be successful if you get on the, the right team. Uh, I would just look at him in, in general. Again, it's not about um, – he's not going to be a, a, a real dual threat guy. He's going to be a guy who you want I, – I, he needs to get paired, I think, with a, a good offensive coordinator. That's what he had with Ryan Day because it's a guy that um, – I don't think there's anything – the complexities of the NFL and the um, the studiousness you need to have to succeed at that level I think are not going to be a problem for him. He's known as a guy who uh, watches more film than anybody else, which should probably be true of your quarterback, but like they had the hours like measured out. It was like demonstrably true of him. And being a student of the game is not going to ever be an issue for him, and putting in that sort of time and work is not going to be an issue for him. So I'm curious to see who he gets – paired up with because if you get someone who's you know innovative and uh someone who is willing to um you know push the envelope a little bit as to as far as what a passer can do and and how you utilize weapons uh, i think that's what makes him really interesting because um you're like i said he's he has been sort of building himself to be able to see this game at the level that you need to to succeed in the nfl Nathan Baird, Cleveland.com, Ohio State football reporter. Thanks so much for joining us here in the Blue Horseshoe Ohio podcast and giving us uh, some intel on uh, CJ Stroud. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks a lot.